It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Eric Quanstrom. Eric is Chief Marketing Officer of KiteDesk. KiteDesk makes automated prospecting software for business-to-business sales. We're going to talk more about that in a second. Eric, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me, Andy. So, Looking forward to a great discussion. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. Follow up on, uh, I was a guest on Eric's show last week at a conference in <laughs> Chicago. So uh, we'll get a chance to hear that at some point. So um, take a second, introduce yourself. So how'd you end up where you are? Sure. So I've led marketing teams in uh, the high tech or SaaS space for, geez, last decade and a half now. And um, KiteDesk is kind of a a fun project and company because we get to help salespeople be better at their jobs. And you know, everyone always struggles with lead generation, especially high growth sales teams where you know there can never be enough leads, right? <laughs> and never be enough effective lead outreach and that's really what enough good leads provide right yeah Yeah, enough good good leads right that's right and um, as a lifelong marketer i think that you know lead quality is always at the forefront of every marketer's mind and you've probably never heard a salesperson complain about the quality of leads (laughs) i've got a teflon jacket that i put on whenever (laughs) that conversation (laughs) yeah exactly kevlar is probably a better analogy yeah. So, well, that is, I mean, that is sort of the one of the real core issues. It's always been a core issue. Is, is salespeople love to have leads given to them, but especially with the SaaS business and the growth of inside sales and the specialized sales roles that are evolving with sales development, business development reps, and so on, is having a good source of leads is is pretty important. It's critical, and I think that you know, there's a lot of um, people out there that. You know, tend to like to fall in one camp or another where, you know, I'm going to predominantly focus on inbound and that's what I really believe in. And, you know, inbound is everything. And I know a lot of marketers, my birds of a feather, if you will, that feel very strongly about kind of the inbound movement that's hap- been happening for the last decade plus. Well, how and so? then there's other Feel strongly. How? What do they feel? You said they feel strongly. What do they feel? Yeah, I think a lot of them feel that inbound is a much cleaner, um, more intent-driven, more customer-centric way of bringing you know customers into your fold, waiting for people to raise their hands and then servicing them. Mm -hmm. In many respects, Um, I think that you know where I was going with that though is there's also the same amount of fervor around kind of outbound marketing and you know, defining ideal customers, going after them with techniques and tactics and, you know, an outreach strategy that is very intentional about who you want in your customer base, which logos you want to hang on your website and call your customers. Mm -hmm. And I kind of split the middle, right? I think that there's a time and a place for both. And I think that it's the smart business that takes advantage of key inbound and key outbound strategies and actually works them together in ways that are fairly scalable. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, my perspective is, and I'm a, I'm a sales guy, not a marketing guy, is that, and I write about this in my latest book, is that, yeah, if we lived in an ideal world, all sales leads would be generated, high-quality leads would be generated through inbound marketing. But until such time exists, which it doesn't, we got to blend it with outbound. Yeah, I, I would even take it a step further and say that, especially as companies are moving through various growth stages in their life cycle, I think outbound punches through the, the natural ceilings that are inherent to inbound. And that's the way I like to frame it up. So you're saying until a company has developed a brand and a reputation and so on where the, the inbound can be more effective, that, hey, if you're starting, you're starting to scale, do what you got to do and, and do the outbound. Yeah, and, and also I think that there's natural uh, inhibitors, if you will. Google only re-indexes their, their search for top 10 results you know, every so often. It's not like an everyday occurrence. And frankly, there's not that much variance. So if you look at the key cornerstone component of inbound marketing, which is search engine optimization and content marketing laid bare, it, it's a much more medium to long-term strategy than it is a short-term spike of taking you know, effective market share um, in a competitive space. Right. It, but it's, it's sort of, all right, so let's look, let's look at your I had a different question I was going to ask, but I'll refer to this one. Is, so let's look at what you're doing at, at Kite Desk. Is how do you blend those two? Because you guys, you just raised a bunch of money from venture investors. Obviously, you have an imperative to scale pretty quickly. So what does your mix look like? Sure. So, you know, ironically enough, the situation that I inherited coming into Kite Desk was kind of having a mandate of moving beyond just our own tool, right? So, like, there really wasn't kind of an inbound channel or, or um, dedicated marketing staff in a department prior to my arrival. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the good news is that I've been able to kind of swim upstream and create and validate and build our brand accordingly. Um, with the backdrop of having, you know, kind of a very sales-centric organization that believes wholeheartedly in, in outbound and has been prospecting, and that's frankly what our tool does, uh, for a while now. So, you know, we continue to optimize our tool, and one of the great things about doing so is that, you know, we use ourselves as our own kind of test bed. Mm -hmm. uh, we drink our own champagne as the, the moniker of choice. Well, you're saying you're optimizing. So what's what's changing that is sort of driving that optimization? You know, what, sure, what do so you see happening on a real-time basis you know, in sales? It's saying, oh, gosh, where we were six months ago, that, wow, <laughs> you know, there's now a demand for something else. And what are those things? Well, I think that it's really a matter of honing in on the key value propositions that, you know, our customers are looking for. So I'll give you one perfect example along those lines. Our tool, we've we've folded into um, the Kite Desk Find product, which is our flagship product, the ability to go out and find your ideal customer profiles or accounts. And so we've given a, a lot of visualization tools that help you get the right kind of <laughs> lead lists built so that you can be really effective and efficient with your time spent prospecting. All right. So give give an example of that just so people understand. Yeah, so let's pretend that, you know, I'm a business that's selling IT services and I really want to target um, the CTO of a given organization. And I, I know my geographies, I know my size of business, I have a good conception of, 
you know, how high up the, the stack I want to start at the mm -hmm. CTL level, or maybe I want to even go down the, the stack and find, again, my ideal customers. KiteDesk can do that, you know, really efficiently. You know, you basically start with the product and you, you give it that criteria in a visual fashion, and we hand back to you essentially the data that you need to go and start prospecting, direct dials, emails, social profile, and even referral information for who at your company would be the, the path to a, a warm introduction. Yeah, and you're doing that by, you work with a number of, I don't know, I'll call them aggregators, list aggregators or whatever, that, that you pull that data into Kite Dust from. That's right. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to be essentially <clears throat> the prospector's best friend. You know, prospecting is hard. Let's be let's take it one step back and just get real. You know, it's, it's the kind of like stuff that makes sales a grind in many respects, you know, where you're spending a lot of time researching, you know, reaching out through various channels um, can be very cumbersome. And we take a lot of that heavy lifting off of the plate of, you know, the average salesperson so that they can be more effective and, you know, spend more time selling, which is kind of what they're there to do. Yeah. So how does an organization use Kite Desk? Let's say if they have a, you know, a, a sales ops person or somebody dedicated to, you know, list management, data hygiene and so on. Sure. So you would basically, you know, put Kite Desk into the seats of those that, you know, would be spending a, a percentage of their time in lead lead uh, development in prospecting, and then they just go to town. You know, they can work with the sales ops manager or director to create ideal list lead lists, or they can do it themselves. And the beauty of where KiteDesk kind of lives in the software stack is really at the top of the funnel, where you're still trying to determine whether or not there's interest and viability for the prospects that you're reaching out to. And again, we give you all of those downstream tools like emails and templates and red receipts and a dialer. Um, and then, you know, we've got some surprises up our sleeves coming out soon that'll orchestrate a lot of that work and workflow. So depending on when this um, podcast airs, <laughs> we will- <laughs> We'll we make will sure it's after have, this release. Yeah, it will potentially have even more of a story to tell um, around the prospecting process that can make a company, you know, really effective and efficient. And we all know in sales, the more effective and efficient you are at the top of the funnel, the more full your pipeline becomes, the better your chance of hitting quota, and the more productive your account executives are at closing business because, frankly, they've got, you know, <laughs> better defined leads filling their pipelines with qualified meetings. Well, so you're simple. Right. So you touch on an interesting topic, which I want to bring up quite a bit when I talk to people in the space like you are, is, is right, there's this push-pull tension between quantity and quality. Yes. And unfortunately, it seems to be, you know, good intentions notwithstanding and stated intentions notwithstanding for many players in the field is managers find it easy now having all these tools to sort of gravitate toward the quantity side, right? Especially companies that are trying to scale quickly. It's always about more and more and more. We really will focus on quality later. So how, how do you help companies, which to me is, is crazy, is I'd rather get the process right the first time, is how do you, how do you help them in this quality versus quantity uh, balance? Well, be careful what, what's about to fall out of my mouth because, you know, Seth Godin once said marketers ruin everything. 
And I would argue that a lot of my marketing brethren, and, and you know, this is a pretty easy trap to fall into, but you know, I like to call it CPM thinking. And what it means is essentially cost per mill, right? Mm -hmm. Most marketers grow up thinking in terms of cost per thousand with everything that they do, because that's how they buy ads, that's how they send mails, that's kind of what is drilled into them from a very early age, right? It's all about talking to a mass audience. And frankly, I'm, I'm actually pleased with the direction that a lot of, um, you know, kind of the sales development space is going, which is more towards personalization, more towards I'm going to do my homework, more towards I'm going to attempt to have a one-on-one -on -one communication with a targeted account, and I'm going to use the tools that are there to do just that rather than just batch and blast and, well, you know, live well, with a 1% conversion rate. Yeah, I mean, the, but the person, quite honestly, though, the personalization is is fairly low touch personalization, right? I mean, in terms of a lot of, what a lot of the tools afford is is you know, you go to conferences and people talk about yeah, we're personalizing, but you know that amounts to basically putting somebody's first name on a template and and sending it out. Um, well, yes and no. I, I mean, I would challenge that a little bit and say that if. Listen, I, as a marketer, you're also on the buy side more often than not. And the daily approach emails and phone calls and social touches that I get, you know, unfortunately tend to be fairly um, uninspired. Right. And it's the ones that have actually done their homework that have actually taken the time to do even the most rudimentary kind of <laughs> three by three types of personalization mm -hmm. where I respond you know, I, I'm, I'm a focus group of one here, but the point is, is that I actually think that that's probably the most reliable indicator of getting through the, the cold email, the cold call veil, if you will, or wall, depending on one's perspective, is to actually have invested the time to do so. Oh, I agree 100%. That, I was making that same point. It's just, it seems like the pressure on the quantity makes it so hard for meaningful personalization to take place. It seems to, yeah, me, that, it seems to me like that's where the model potentially is going to break or is breaking already, right? Is, is that the tools tend to, as like I said, be used more for, hey, I got to get my 50 contacts out today as opposed to, you know, really making, as you said, give me 22 that contacts, half that number that really stand out and that are going to break through the noise and then apply it to the same conversion rate you have, and you know, you're going to have uh, you have a better result. Yeah, I mean, I'm very encouraged that the tools allow for greater capacity. But again, in, in the hands of bad actors, you know, the greatest tool can still be misused. <laughs> and, and there's there's nothing in the software industry that'll ever change that, as far as I can tell. Sure. Well, I think part of it is is what do you think will will change that? I mean, that's that's a question. I'm, curious about is is and I've asked a lot of people <laughs> that same question is, is from a buyer's perspective what you hear is the message is hey I'm being inundated by undifferentiated messaging from salespeople and yeah it's becoming overwhelming it's too much and especially in let's say a segment of you know companies said okay yeah we're going to give you a, a territory with these logos that you need to go get and you need to have this quantity of contacts and there's going to slash and burn through those really quickly, and then what? Well, I think ultimately it comes back down to conversion rates, because I would be willing to bet that the same companies that you're talking to, and I've listened to your podcast and even the sales stack interviews, <laughs> the, the converse is that 
most savvy businesses are loading up on tools because they realize there is a better way to, you know, essentially get anything done, right? Like it would seem foolish to us to run a modern sales organization without a CRM or a, absolutely, you know, <laughs> without a sales development or, platform. Exactly. Without kite exactly. Desk. Without kite desk, you're nowhere. Anyhow, the the point is, is that I think that it is too much, but at the same time, it's not enough, right? And so ultimately where we find our center is in the conversion rates of what's working. And that tends to be where people align their resources behind. Because once they find, and I think this is true of both marketing and sales, once an organization finds a repeatable process that leads to favorable outcomes, most importantly for the customers they serve, they repeat it and they look to replicate and they look to reinforce that which is working. You know, that's part of the successful organizations that I've been a part of in the past. And I would argue that you're, you probably had a similar experience. Sure. Well, we don't even have to argue about that. But yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. But I guess one of the questions I have is, is that it seems to be, though, and this, let's take the SaaS industry as an example, having been in multiple conferences now in the last few months about this, is that there's a general acceptance of a close rate that, conversion rate, we'll call it, that seems awfully low. So mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's kept low, then the only answer is you got to do a lot more on the top of the funnel to get the sub, you know, requisite numbers through the conversion. And God, it, my instinct is when, certainly when sales jobs that I've had, uh, either managing teams or, um, you know, as an individual, is, yeah, I want to get my conversion rate up. But there seems to be this acceptance of let's let's have a lower conversion, not a lower, but you know, low, lower than what I think should be acceptable, and we're just going to get more opportunities to run by that conversion rate. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because I think that just throwing numbers at the problem is, um, at some point, like there, you spring holes in the bucket. You know, yeah, what I mean, what, that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, I and I would share that same concern because. I think that working on your business, you know, to truly be a successful professional or a successful entrepreneur, um, someone who's moving the needle and really making a difference, you're always working on conversion rate optimization, always, because there's there's nothing that, you know, these are these are the force factors, they're the practices, they're the processes that are inherent to every business that are wholly and 100% controllable by you. Right. You can't control what competitors are doing. You can't control what the economic climate is. You can't control for a lot of things. But one of the things that you definitely can control for in your own organization are your own conversion rates. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. For people listening, I take this lesson to heart from what Eric is saying is you can control your conversion rate. So rather than just say, let me feed more bodies into the mix and let's stay at the same conversion rate, and that's how we'll increase sales, is maybe get more qualified prospects, more or greater quantity of more qualified prospects into your pipeline, increase your conversion rate, and you're going to have the same effect. And it should be, well, easier, not, to, should be easier to scale at that point. Well, and I've always been fascinated by the laws of numbers as they kind of pass through. A, a, I don't love this phrase or this model, but it, it helps people think think 
<laughs> about their sales operations. So the funnel, if you will, when you increase that converge, that first conversion rate, like whether you're moving from a marketing qualified lead to a sales qualified lead into an opportunity from an opportunity into like either proposal or quoting and then, you know, into a closed one state, mm -hmm. which I think give or take some semantics or some, you know, different terms or maybe even a tier here and there is what most businesses are kind of looking at from a sales cycle, especially in B2B the most effective conversion rates to optimize for are at the very top of the funnel. Because what they what that does is it gives you a better chance for every other conversion rate that you can control thereafter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great point for people. And it starts with having quality conversations up front to be able to do that. You bet. You bet. And the more targeted, the better. And that's kind of, yep. you know, again, folding back to where we were earlier about getting you know, real around who you want to target. And, and I didn't quite answer your earlier question, so I, I'll take this opportunity to kind of go back there. You'd asked, well, what are we doing at Kite Desk on the marketing side that it also assists our sales? And so we've spent, you know, some time digging in, in the dirt of account-based marketing around, you know, developing ad strategies, developing kind of awareness campaigns, developing right time, right message type of stuff that consistently flows throughout our sales cycle and thus makes all those other conversion rates, all those other interactions potentially more meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love it. Love it. All right, we're going to take a short break and come back with my guest, Eric Quanstrom, talk some more about sales development, sales, marketing, and so on. Be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Welcome back with my guest today, Eric Quanstrom, Chief Marketing Officer of Kite Desk. And I wanted to talk about something a little bit differently. You had written an article recently, which I, I liked, and thought we'd go through it. Talked about the three sales development basics hiding in plain sight. And I thought good three good points for salespeople to keep in mind as and managers as they uh, manage and coach their performers. And so the first one was uh, sales development is you call it adept product knowledge. And I thought that the twist that was really interesting you talk about is that you know, it's not enough just to master your own product, but you need to know the competitor as well, the competition as well. Yeah, I mean, the, when I wrote the article, the other um, kind of example that I held out there was, and for those that have never heard this story, um, I, I found it personally interesting that the basketball great coach at UCLA, John Wooden, um, deceased now, but one of the things that he used to do consistently with every team that he ever coached was the first lesson that he ever taught was essentially how to put on your shoes and how to tie your shoelaces. And you're saying to yourself, how crazy is that, right? Like, are you kidding me? Like this guy's sitting there and, and pontificating or giving a lesson on, you know, 
lacing one's shoes and, and how you won't get blisters if you put on your shoes and, and do your socks right. But the point, the meta point that I think was really the takeaway for me in that anecdote and after hearing stories related from everyone from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton <laughs> down the line, the point was is that no detail is too unimportant to master, right? And so when you think about product knowledge, really what is quite critical, I think, for most salespeople that are representing a product is to know where you fit, is to understand where in the landscape, so to speak, you fit, how to synthesize your customer's understanding of where you might fit with their organization, and then be able to reiterate or essentially guide them towards an understanding or a learning. You know, this is the most effective persuasive technique is to let people have their own aha moments to guide them towards what your product can do for them because you understand so well how to get them there. Right. And as I mentioned, I mean, as you talk about in the article, it's, it's not just enough to know what you do, but you need the context of where you fit. That's right. Yeah, very important because, again, if you're, as you said, trying to inspire someone, as I like to talk about, is inspire a buyer to take a journey with you, is you know, part of their willingness to do so is based on understanding you know, what that journey entails and, and you know, how it compares to making another journey that somebody, they might make with somebody else. Well, and, and if I were to even kind of invoke that sports metaphor one, one more time. Let's do you know, more, you, more sports cliches. We can never have enough. You can never have enough. But if you watch great sports players playing a game, one of the things that you'll inevitably hear an announcer say is that the game's really slowed down for them. And it's like, well, what the hell is he talking about? That's totally counterintuitive. But what ends up happening is, and, and you're a, <laughs> you know, an avid sportsman, a cross-country a fitness buff, you know, triathlete, if you will. But there comes a point where because you've mastered certain techniques, before, because you've mastered endurance and, and what goes into preparing for a race, you'll actually hit times where you know, things definitely tend to slow down, right? Like you understand what's coming next. Mm -hmm. Do you not? Yeah, yeah. No, I think, that's a, you, I think it's a great analogy for, for selling is, is you're, instead of being – once you've mastered this knowledge, you can then be what I call in the moment with the prospect, right? Instead of being so Absolutely. concerned about having, you know, am I going to make sure I remember say this or say that or so on, is, is it's just there for you. And so, yeah, the game does slow down. The interactions with the prospects slow down. And you have the ability to recall this, this information in a contextual way. Well, and more importantly, you have this ability to not only be in the moment, but listen. Well, right? like, yeah, to me, that's, that's part of being in the moment is, is you're there to listen to them, right? Right. And if you don't listen, if you're always thinking about what you're going to say next in the context of a demo or a discovery call or, you know, subsequent sales meetings, there's a really high correlation with what you miss. Exactly. And it's funny because if you listen to, you know, if you do um, role play and you listen to tapes and you know, you, you kind of go back and forth with practice, it becomes immediately obvious, right? Again, back to the sports metaphor. If you watch tape, you'll see what techniques you need to work on, and they'll become immediately obvious. It's just in the day-to-day, -day, when we're not doing that, it's really easy to overlook and glide past all those things that, frankly, you should be working on, the little details. Right. 
Okay, well, the second point you had then was learn the problem behind the problem. And in this case, you really were evoking your own initials when you talk about EQ, emotional intelligence. Is, you know, sales real development really depends on making that connection with the prospect. Yeah, and again, I, I just want to make sure that this comes off the right way. I, I hear or I've heard a lot of people talk about sales and relationship building. I bought tons of products or I've spearheaded as the lead decision maker for marketing organizations, a ton of buys, if you will. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not looking for my next friend. You know what I mean? Like I don't necessarily need a, a sales relationship in my life, nor am I seeking one. <laughs> well, it's, it's the, it's the definition of what a relationship is, right? I mean, I, right. I, I believe that prospect as I have a, a slide I use in presentation says, you know, customers don't buy you. They buy what you can do for them. That's right. And, and so the point that I, I'm driving towards here is understanding that, you know, paying attention to those same details, looking for the problem behind the problem is almost a, a forcing function to getting you into the right habits of asking intelligent questions that will further a relationship with a prospective buyer. Right. So that, and I think that that's really important because Oftentimes, salespeople are judged by the quality of questions that they ask. As they should be. Because the customer, the customer is saying, look, I've got a limited amount of time, and I'm investing some of that time in you. And you know, if you're just asking these inane questions, then I'm not getting a very good return on my investment in time in you. Well, and it's kind of ironic, too, because the best sales scenarios that I can ever recall being a part of or being on the other end of are when... Salespeople come really prepared. Again, the game kind of slows down for them. They ask really intelligent questions, and they control the, the conversation not by telling, but rather by asking. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, so I wrote an article not that long ago. People can find it online. We called the Ask, Don't Tell formula. And when you're given a choice between making a, a fact-based statement about your product or asking another insightful question... Ask the question. The customer's good. the customer can find the facts out easily enough. Right. And how about asking questions that lead them down the path of discovery? Because a customer will reward you cognitively to a much higher degree with something that they find to be true and accept to be true for themselves if you led them there, as opposed to you telling them. Because Asserting anything as a salesperson automatically comes with a, a cloud of doubt around it, right? I've got to have my filter up and my bias on because you're about to tell me something that you obviously have a stake in me believing to be true. <laughs> right. You know, so so why ruin some of your best aha? Don't rob your customers of their best aha moments. You know, like that's what I said earlier. Let them come to them on their own. Just make sure you lead them there as often as possible. Exactly. All right, and the last point you had was communication frequency is you don't want to communicate too much with them, especially if they're not ready. But at the same time, you'll make sure you don't communicate too infrequently. Yeah, and I think that this one is, is a really hard and tricky balance. But again, it, it's kind of like hidden in plain sight because the instincts are so often misaligned with what you actually should be doing. 
right? The check-in email. Oh, God, right? Like, can we just banish this? Well, yeah, I have the, from- cu- I have the cure for that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a few of my own. But anyways, the, the point is, is like there's a bunch of things that we do um, almost reflexively without thinking that are just so not necessary. And again, putting yourself in the customer's shoes, getting into like a, a flow of understanding what would be valuable for them means that that balance will actually come quite naturally in the sales cycle. Yeah, the and the cure I had, which actually a very serious one, is and again write about this in my books, is that you know, every interaction you have with a prospect has to deliver something of value to them. That's your bar you have to pass. So your check in call, all these extraneous check ins, phone calls, emails you'll send somebody. Yeah, if unless you're some adding something of value there for the prospect, you know, it could be a link to an article or a white paper, it could be some other uh, important points you have to discuss or question to ask, but unless you understand in advance, then you're consciously doing that, right? You're consciously communicating, then just don't do it. <laughs> it's great law. It's great. Yeah. Great habit to be in. So, okay. Well, good. Well, great information. And we'll give people a chance a second to learn more about where they can find out more about Kite Desk and about you. But Moving to the last segment of the show is I've got some questions I ask all my guests. You say you've been listening to episodes, so you should be well prepared with answers for this. So the first one is hypothetical scenario where you've just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. They want to get unstuck. They want you to get them unstuck. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? So for me, it's understanding, again, that internal lay of the land. And this is where I go in and I audit. And I audit like crazy, right? Like I look at the current processes that are in place, the current tool sets that are in place, the current team that are that's that's there. And I begin to essentially interview and begin to build up like, here's what we're doing now. Because if you don't know what you're doing now, then you don't know what you need to change, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's that process, you know, it's actually probably more than two things, unfortunately. So I, I fudge a little bit with my answer. That gives me the ability to not only get to know people at a work level and, and what their work product is, but also their styles, what they're coming to the table with, how they've been taught in the past, and where is the ability to bring and to synthesize disparate pieces of information into kind of a new view mm-hmm. that, that I then begin to ask other people to see if they share, begin to test the hypothesis. But coming up with that hypothesis in the beginning, I think is, is one of the strengths that I possess. And I do it because I've had various roles. And frankly, I think it's effective beyond the sales situation in situations that I have with you know our staff here at Kite Desk, in other roles that I've had in the past, in managing people, so on and so forth. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, great suggestion, being able to like I said, synthesize disparate data into perhaps a new insight, a new perspective that, that people don't currently hold. Love it. So um, what's one book every salesperson should read? Well, I'll tell you what I've just finished um, in reverse chronological order. So I really enjoyed the Sales Development Playbook by Trish Bertuzzi. Yes. Very cogent marination on 
tactics and strategies in this industry that that you know, frankly, Kite Desk is in, and and yep. that yep. you you talk a lot about it as well. Yep, great. Book. Uh, yeah, prior to that, Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blunt, another one that I highly recommend, especially for those that are doing you know kind of research and prospecting, you know lead development on a day-in and day-out basis, go grab that book. You will not be sorry. Yeah, a lot of good information about how to structure your day. Yeah, so I, I, I had a lot of, <clears throat> I have a lot of kudos for both of those books. Okay, great answers. Uh, let's see. Tough question here is, is what music's on your playlist right now? You know, I've been listening to a lot more um LCD sound system since uh, they decided to get back together, and <laughs> okay. uh, and I'm looking forward to where and when they are going to tour. Um, uh, it was tremendously disappointing to see them break up a couple of years ago, um, but even more <laughs> exciting to believe that there's a new album coming out somewhere yeah. in the future. Here, okay, good answer. Yeah, that's I think that's the first time they've come up on our on our list, but it's good. Yeah, yeah I like it. Well, we got a lot of classic rock. Uh, People, even cross generational generations, even younger generation versus old, a lot of classic rock there. Well, I, I grew up on classic rock, so that would be the pat answer. You know, yeah. I, you can't you can't grow up in San in the San Francisco Bay Area without being kind of like schooled on like being the a basics. deadhead, right? Well, <laughs> I don't even necessarily think of the dead as as classic classic rock. Well, you know? that's true. That's true. Give but me a little Led Zeppelin, and I think yeah. you're yeah. You're in the uh, in the ballpark. All right, good. Well, Eric, thanks for joining me, and I want you to tell people how they can find out more about Kite Desk. Sure. So you can go directly to our website at www.kitedesk.com. Um, exactly how you'd think about spelling it. Um, follow us at Kite Desk on Twitter, and be sure to, much like the listeners of this podcast are looking to accelerate. You know, we've got an entire blog that's updated daily, usually with contributors not working for KiteDesk, but leading voices in the sales space, essentially giving best practices, thought pieces, different perspectives and ways to think about <laughs> accelerating your business um, going forward. So we're looking to educate on our blog. So I highly encourage people to check that out. All right. As do I. That's a good resource. So. Again, thanks for being on the show. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. That word, accelerate again. And an easy way to do that is to make this podcast a part of your daily routine, whether you listen on your commute, in the gym, or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Eric Quanstrom, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.